0: Hi, I'm Chris and I'm Matt. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are two game masters who can't stop talking about role playing games.
1: And today we talk about lore and exposition.
0: And as always, we're going to try and focus in on the roleplay so we can get better at it together. But before we get better at roleplay together, we have a little announcement. Today, we have a special guest with us. Let's have a, a warm welcome and a round of applause for our guest today, uh, Roxanne. Hi, Roxanne. Would you like to say hello?
2: Ah, uh, hi. Yes, my name is Roxanne. I'm uh, a <laughs> uh, long time game master, so thirteen years with mostly the same group, but on and off. Been playing role playing games since I was twelve, so a long time.
0: Yeah, nice. and Roxanne, Roxanne and I, uh, we've had some fun conversations over in the Twitter Twitterverse. So I'm really happy to have you on the show, Roxanne. It's it's going to be a fun conversation talking about lore and exposition. Uh, but before we do that, do you want to talk a little bit more about the types of games that you game master? Uh, the, the systems that you use, that kind of stuff? I think that might be interesting uh, so, for the audience.
2: Sure, I, I mostly game master Pathfinder for the past 10-ish years. Um, I've been f- done 1st Edition, 2nd Edition, I've done Homebrew in Homebrew wor- Worlds, and I've done Homebrew in Galarian, and I've done some Adventure paths as well. Uh, I also Game Master mostly. My go-to games are Anima and Nephilim, um, but I dabble a lot in various games.
0: That's super cool. I've never heard of Anima before, so this is... I'm excited to learn.
1: <laughs> and uh, and Nephilim too. Uh, you were saying before that it was a, a a French game full of full of lore, and yeah. uh, looking forward to hearing more about that. Do do you want to maybe uh, talk just very briefly about about those systems? Or cu- I'm curious at least.
2: Uh, sure, Anima is um, I think Spanish from Spain game. Um, I've played it French. It's been translated to English. It exists. Um, I think they finished all the books. It's um, a system where you play really epic characters. That's made to mimic like stuff from video games and um, uh, manga and anime, of course. Um, it has a very strange setting, but it's still a lot of fun. Doesn't have a lot of support for game masters. <laughs> Uh, Nephilim is a French game uh, has had I think five editions I'm not 100% sure I played uh, starting from the third I went back to the second Um, and it's um, you're playing gods that are incarnated in human beings and like there's like this occult war between humans and the gods it's very I don't Breach. know if you know science, but it's, it's kind of has a science vibe, but I prefer Nephilim, personally.
0: Really cool. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, as you talk about those systems, th- there are a lot of systems that are out there that come hand in hand with their setting, right? You know, um, whereas there are others that don't. And I think that this might actually be uh, a good starting point for our conversation as we talk about lore. And I wonder, you know, uh, and I'll you know, throw this question out to whoever wants to answer it, but I, I wonder if using systems that have a setting innate to them, kind of like a quote-unquote home setting that the game is basically designed for, I would imagine, um, does that make the inclusion of lore easier or harder for you in your experiences? Um maybe we can use that as a starting off point and kind of go from there And I'll throw the question uh to chris first
1: yeah first uh um yeah uh for me, as I talk previously on podcasts often uh i'm uh, i i I game master pretty much exclusively warhammer, the Warhammer universe uh so all the additions that fit in the category of what you just said like games games that were designed to fit with the setting and i and i think there's the sitting there's the lore there's the exposition but i think what the mechanics will provide is the theme i think it needs to fit to fit with the themes in the genre and then after that if you have like if if you would want to go different lore i think it'd be easy to like you know stay in your lane and still have, have fun there but but i think you're right i think once you're in that category, lore that fits with that and doing exposition that works with the genre needs to work with the mechanics too. Uh, so I do I do think there's a, a correlation there. Um, but uh, yeah, what do you think, Roxanne? Um,
2: I think uh, having a setting that exists within the confine of the game you're playing is actually really helpful. I need to see examples when I'm running a game, whether I'm going to use them or not. I need to know what I can break. Mm. Um, So for me, a game that has no setting is actually very difficult uh, because I have a hard time picturing what are the boundaries of the, the system, like what, where are my limits. However, and there is a big one there, I would not feel comfortable. Um, game mastering in an established setting. So, like, um, I think there's a Middle Earth game, there's Star Wars, mm-hmm. there's Star Trek. I would not personally feel comfortable because I feel like my players know would know the setting so well that I would not feel comfortable living up to what everyone else knows. So that, for a game master, can be pretty daunting, I guess. At least to me.
1: No, that Got is it. an interesting uh, an interesting distinction there. So so what you're saying, if I understand correctly, is that you like your games with examples of the kind of lore that could work, and then you can extrapolate what you want from them. Where, I guess for me, what I was talking about Warhammer is actually what you said in terms of set setting. I mean, you could, if if your players don't know it, which was the case for me, you could like invent whatever. But I try to stick really close to the to the like origin material, but I study it because I like it. Like it, it needs to be part of your hobby, I think, right? Which is not from what I hear from you, which seems to not be the case. What about no. you, Matt? <laughs>
2: Studying is not part of my hobby. I
0: like <laughs> <laughs> It's it's funny that you say that to both of you, that because my preference is kind of the opposite. Um I have a really hard time using existing settings existing using games that have existing settings because it like you said Chris it feels like it's something that I have to learn and if I don't stay true to that it, it someone's going to know and someone's going to know I did it <laughs> wrong um so I feel guilty about it I feel almost nervous about it I I find that having my own setting that I am the the owner of, or that the table is the owner of. It gives me more freedoms uh, to, to, play the game that I, to play the game that I want to and give the players the game that they want. Um, and maybe that's an unfounded opinion, you know, I haven't really run a whole lot of games using existing settings except for maybe I've used the fair run setting or I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that in, in the Dungeons and Dragons universe, but I've only used it because it's like basically fantasy land. Like it's, it's, it's like non disc. And Twitter's going to have a field day. It's ba- to me, it's basically just generic fantasy land. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. So, I mean, I guess one thing that I would like to dig in a little bit more, uh, Chris, is I'm curious in your use of the Warhammer setting, have you strayed away from from the the canonical setting and i wouldn't know any better to be honest but
1: i so when i before i started game mastering for you guys uh so one of the system that is core to warhammer is the colors of magic and you'll be you'll be curious to learn about that i think because you're one of the wizards uh there's eight winds of magics and the wood elves use a magic that is kind of one of the colors and, like, there's kind of, like, crossovers that I didn't like. So I considered making human magic uh, just elemental magics. Uh, so reworking the whole thing. I decided not to do it, and I'm glad now after, like, three years of playing with it, because now we have people that n- you go in, like, video games in this universe and can recognize everything. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, what I actually did, I don't think I've ne- I ever... S- really straight away i think i filled a lot of gaps though a lot of things that throw like i've been playing in the Warhammer universe since i'm like seven or eight so like and i wasn't kidding when i was saying i was studying studying like when i was a kid i was bringing books and i was reading the lore and i was like so like i i love this thing but sometimes there's gaps you know like like Mm -hmm. why does this this happen and this so so I have my own understanding of certain uh, certain things, how they work, um, and how things are different. So, so I I do fill the gaps. So, I still have that creativity of like fill in the blanks, which for me is is really fun. And and I and I coming back to what you said, and a little bit of what Roxanne said about like feeling constrained in in a lot of setting. I, I think it's totally valid. Um, but for me, because I know the space, it gives me a lot of comfort, you know, it's like being at whole at home, um, mm-hmm. where I, I have my anchors, you know, like I don't need to study every week for it. Like I have my anchors when we have a game, if you go in a, in a weird lore, uh, tangent, I, I know what's there, you know, I don't have to just be creative all the time. I have some, some anchors, like I keep saying. So for me, it's actually very helpful. I have Game Master game that was like from scratch, and it's very freeing, I found the first games, because then you can come up with like the big things. But when it gets into really ma- minute, for me, it needs to be like coherent with, each, with, it, with itself. And then you need to remember it. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: what, I, what I invent in the game is the thing that I have the most problem remembering after the game. You know than what I prepped before or studied before, so I don't know if maybe Roxanne, have you ever felt like that where you were in a game and you invented lore, maybe, and maybe after that you wanted to take it back, or I don't know what. What's your experience with that?
2: I am. Um, I tend to be a very good note taker, so uh, my settings are usually pretty coherent. I have. Um, for my big campaigns, I have like either binder folds of notes or <laughs> I use like websites for that. And so I, it happens that sometimes you have to retcon some things. And I am blessed with players who, who allow, who, who give me the space to say, actually, you know what, I said this, but actually, let's make it that. And whether I explain it or not, why it's more interesting, doesn't matter. Usually they give me that, that leniency. Um, so, yes, it's happened that I had to go back and say, well, made a, made a call, wasn't too happy about it. Couldn't we pretend I didn't? Um, and sometimes I just, you know, let it go. Because it's important to just let go. It's like, oh, this could have been better, but in the grand scheme of things, does it matter? Maybe mm-hmm. not.
0: Yeah, that's that that that's really cool actually and and I'm going to lean in a little bit on what you're saying about having these binders and having these notes. It's definitely part of the fun. Like for me anyway, it's part of the fun building this thing from the ground up and kind of like <laughs> I know I'm not, I'm not saying you don't have binders, Chris. For those who for for those of you listening, Chris pulled up his like binder of notes. Obviously, you're going to take notes whether you build the setting I know, or not. I know, I know. But, but, you know, it, it really gives you this sense of ownership over the setting. And, and what I like even more about that is it creates uh, almost like this canvas that you and your players can build together. And that's something that you know, is very much in my style. When I run games, if the players ask me a question about the background or the lore of a race in the game that we homebrewed together, I might actually say like you know what that's super cool let's figure it out and and i know for some people they want the game master to have all the answers and for those of you listening if if you're like that i'd love to hear why you have that opinion but for me it's more fun getting to the answer together with the players and then allowing those players to feel the sense of ownership over the lore over the world um one time I was playing a game with some friends of mine and we each were our own race. Uh, you know, it was a ca- canonical race in most games. Like one person was a, an elf and one person was a dwarf and one person was a a kind of like a uh, like a elemental type character. And each of us were kind of the quote unquote lore masters for the race that we were playing, so I wasn't the game master in this example. I was a player who was playing one of these elemental char- type characters. But whenever something came up, and it was like, oh, there's a marriage, there's a wedding happening right now between you know t- two different characters of the race that I'm playing. People would turn to me and say, okay, what kind of like what kind of ceremonies would they do, or what kind of like uh, what would be like the the quote unquote canonical size of such a celebration or whatever. So it was, uh, it was kind of fun. It, it gave me the sense of this... I, I'm contributing meaningfully, like, very significantly to the creation of this world, which was a lot of fun for me.
1: What, what is your... Uh, how do you work, Roxanne, at your table? Do you... Do you have soul control and dominion over your lore?
2: Uh, well, it depends. Every game, we all like... At the moment, we're playing in a Pathfinder setting, Um, but we, you know, I let... I Basically, I give my players, like, the general information of what they need to know to create their characters, and then if they want to add to the NPCs or to uh, the lore, just like the, the legends and everything that surrounds them, they're free to do so, and I really love hearing their input, but I think... I think generally my players are maybe a little more passive in that sense. Like they are not necessarily as invested in creating lore, which is fine. So but you know, one of our players is a bard, like her character is a bard, and she keeps coming up with these tragic backstories for every mount- monster they encounter. And you know, it's nice. like oh, we defeated this troll. Did you know his name was blah blah blah, and he was the champion of na na na. And sometimes <laughs> I use that because I think it's really cool because it's not something I prompt. I'm like just, you know, okay.
0: Nice. That's really that fun. Was- it it gives you the flexibility too. Sorry, Chris. i let you. No, go no, no, no. First. Go ahead. But it, it it gives you the flexibility of like sometimes it's sometimes it's canon. Sometimes what the the bard said is right. Other times, maybe it isn't. And yep. it, it creates, like, a fun roleplay moment, right? Where, or I, oh, sorry, I would imagine it creates a fun roleplay moment where, whoops, wo- the bard said it was true, but then later down the road, they find out that it's not true. Was the bard lying? Did the bard just not know when yep. they came up with something? I don't know, it could be fun. It could create this this neat dynamic. Has that happened? Or am I just, like... Invent-
2: yes, no, no, it actually happened. They There was an issue where... I don't know, we made a Christmas special game and there were snowmen that were appearing in the village. It's like, oh, it's the ghosts of children who died so-and-so year ago in a mine collapse. I don't even remember what she said. Was, and then they found out they were Fae who were making those snowmen. And she's like, yes, Fae Ghost.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, yeah. In exactly. your game, it's the players who con, lore. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So you know, it's a, it gives fun moments. Now the character, the other characters, are like, "Yeah, yeah, you're just bullshitting again." But every now and then, she gets one right, and they're like, "Oh, maybe you aren't." <laughs>
1: that's good. That's cool. Yeah, that's definitely something I, I don't, I don't have a lot in my games because my, I my lore is pretty. I want the only word that comes to mind is strict. I don't know if that would be the way of categorizing it, but like. I think my my I I I've, I've shown my players that I want to stay consistent with the lore so whenever they want to give input they they feel and I think rightly so that they need to check with me to make sure it's consistent or that they, if they get creative it needs to be in a space um that is at least how do I say it basically consistent with the rest of, of the lore, right? Like, I remember having one player who's like, I want to play a cowboy. I'm like, nah, that doesn't really work with the Warhammer universe for me. I could make it work, but then after that, it just, for me, it's like, the Vol, it, it becomes kind of a, another monster that is not really Warhammer. Um, so, um, so yeah. But, like, that, I, I think I'm definitely... I think I'm probably in a minority here in terms of game master because it is strict, right, man. I think it, it took some adjustment from the players uh, when you guys came to my table. Is that fair to say?
0: I, I mean, it took a bit of adjustment, maybe, but I think we we appreciate it for what it is, right? Um, and I might I might take us on our first tangent of the show and talk briefly about world building. But I, I think it's an approach, right? It, it, it often comes. With an approach to world building where, mm. depending on how strict you are with you are with your lore and how how um, how much ownership and control you feel you need to have over your lore, I believe it's related to the kind of world building that you're more comfortable with. And if you're somebody who likes really hard world building, world building that's associated to like details, very logical, grounded explanations. And often, if there's a question you're going to have an answer, then you're, you tend to want to have the control over it because then you're going to be able to keep and foster that environment. Whereas for me, it's more of a, I prefer the soft world building where it's, it, it, it has a preference to the imaginative. It has a preference to this more flexible and almost like this, the unknowns, like you embrace the unknowns and try to tackle them collaboratively. And neither of these methods are better than the other. It's just, depending on your preference, I think it, it's going to push you towards a certain type of lore and uh, the control over that lore. And I don't know if, if either of you have thoughts about that, but um, Or we Rock can kind. close the parentheses, but <laughs>
2: um, Yeah, I mean, I think world building is it's a beast of its own and. I don't know if I agree because even if you're very detail-oriented, because I know I am and I like my world building to be super coherent, um, you know, you can still give yourself enough room to improvise, I guess, uh, with your players or, you know, just by yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know.
0: I mean, for the record, I'm not saying that soft world building implies that the world isn't coherent, but <laughs> it's just there's more empty spaces. There's more... Yeah, exactly. It feels more like a like a fairy tale or like a Ghibli movie, whereas hard world building, to me, feels more like Lord of the Rings or like an established... Uh, y- you know, something that Tolkien would have written or maybe C.S. Lewis would have written where it's it's more specific i i don't know maybe maybe mm-hmm. it's but you're right roxanne it's definitely a generalization of a statement that i made <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh for me so i guess what was your premise here matt sorry i lost it between the whole all, all the discussion it was the fact that it was oh yeah so it's a it's a preference and uh, yeah I, and i think if we talk about software building to me, like Harry Potter is a good, good example of it. And it's, it doesn't mean it's not consistent, even though I would argue that Harry Potter is not very consistent, but no, great. they have time
0: turners, Chris, they have time turners. They can do whatever they want.
1: <laughs> I'll say that Brendan Lee Mulligan <laughs> always says, right? Yeah. They're time turners and they're male with owls. And you know, like it's, it's very about theme and about how they make you feel, which yeah, I think I'm... is, is typical with soft. World building is like it's more about the feeling evocating a feeling than than something that needs to be in the brain It needs to be you know more in the heart uh so it's uh doesn't mean you cannot both you cannot have both but it, it's definitely kind of the focus so uh yeah and and for me, something I just wanted to say for like world building is something I always come back to is constrain. Like, it's hard to be creative in a vacuum. And for me, Mm -hmm. Constrain makes me more creative because Mm -hmm. I can read something and then be like, oh, that'd be cool to put there. And like, I I, I like the exercise is not the same. It's not coming up that much with things. For me, when I prep lore to be put in the game and probably start talking about exposition after kind of like, what is exposition is taking lore in the game. For me, it's about linking things. You know, it's about, like, oh, I have this piece of lore, I have this piece of lore, I have this mission they're going, and now I'm linking those, making a beautiful portrait and how this, this to me, is the art that I like to concentrate on when I game master. Well, I guess when I prep a game is, like, linking all those things, and sometimes it's a backstory element from one of my players with, like, an objective they just fulfill or an artifact they found, and this, for me, is is the fun of it? I, I I have more satisfaction when I find it in the setting that's already established and put in the game, and it's like it works, like kind of like a puzzle piece, and it's not just something I created from scratch. But uh, like I said, I'm probably in the minority there. Because
0: <laughs> I mean, I can see I can see the beauty of that, right? It it's if it's if it's canonical, it it feels like oh wow, it all the pieces just fit together instead of oh, well, I'm building the piece to fit... <laughs> I'm building it to fit in there. Um, so there's definitely... Yeah, I, I can see why that would be satisfying. Um, before we move on to exposition, Chris, because I, I heard you were talking... I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I saw you trying to transition into that. <laughs> um, I, I do want to quickly talk to Roxanne a little bit about some of the systems that she brought up today uh, in the intro. And I, I was wondering, Roxanne, you know, the game, the game like Nephilim, for instance how does the setting and how does the system of the game enable it to be lore heavy? And I don't know if you know the answer to that. I'm sorry, I'm kind of putting you on the spot.
2: I don't know if I know the answer, but I do know that it's a game where, like, honestly, when you look at the books, like, 80% of it is dedicated to the setting. At least 80%. -hmm. Um, And even things that are Mechanical aspects of the game, like oh, you like if you play this kind of immortal, you have like this pentacle with five elements, and then here are the five elements. But even when they explain this, there is they're just dropping more and more low, <laughs> Like this is what this element means, and this is how it is represented, and this is what the humans wanted for. And it's like it to some people. I imagine it would be exhausting to read. Uh, but for me, I it's something that transports me. And, you know, when you read a book and you're like, oh, I can feel what this person wants me to feel, I, I have a harder time doing that with rules, personally. Um, but, yes, they basically, Nephilim, the, the heaviness of the lore is really in how you build your character, I guess... Like, you play an immortal that's lived through several incarnations that range from I don't want to say something wrong in term of history but about 20,000 years ago to uh, to now and then they can appear as various persons in history and then you can be someone who existed and then you were like, oh, like Mozart was probably a moon Nephilim and then I really want to have been Mozart and then when you play your character in the 20th century you still have like those memories from being Mozart and living that life and it's, it's just really like ingrained in the system of like you have to know all the lives you lived and how they affect who you are today. And just that it's just an exercise that is not for everyone.
1: Sounds It sounds a little bit exhausting. When you were talking about history, I'm like, that's something I wouldn't want to roleplay in. Like, real history that I have to, like... But well, I'm not a history buff, but I'm sure someone else would, would enjoy that. But, like, but I really like what you said about, like, characters. And that's something that I, I personally found coming from a, a, a game that has setting embedded in it, when I read, like, you know, like, let's take D&D 5th edition, for instance, and I read Dragonborn, and I'm like, who are they? where they come from? Like, I want to know a lot mm-hmm. more about the lore, and I know they are... Now I know that, you know, they can be put in different lore, but for me, this feels weird, like, a Dragonborn feels like something that has lore attached to it, and to be, internship like... To be inter uh, interchangeable with other lore feels weird to me and like you know matt coville says like in his your creation in other people it's i don't know i i'm sure there's an infinite amount of of, of origin story but i want to know the real one which i know there's none but i want to know the real <laughs> one <laughs>
0: I mean that's uh, I'm I'm gonna riff a little bit off of what Roxanne said. Sorry, Chris, because I disagree with what you're saying. I'm just
2: kidding. <laughs> um, I was like, but I agree. The
1: thing is, j- just so, so I think the audience probably realized, l- I think lore and world building. Me and Matt are probably it's probably the thing we're the most different. We're mm-hmm. similar in a lot of ways, but this is probably one of the things that we're the most different.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I think it makes for an interesting conversation, for sure. Um, but, I, I mean, I definitely agree with, with part of what you guys are saying here, in that if the setting has... Uh, if the setting in the game has lore... if the, Sorry, let me start over. If the system of the game comes with lore ingrained in it, and the characters and the, and the people that inhabit that world come with that baggage... It definitely makes the player's job to roleplay a lot easier, right? They, there's a lot of systems. I think. Okay, I'll, I'll pass it <laughs> you in a second, Roxanne. But I think if the system outlines all of this stuff about, you know, if you're from a certain guild or if you're from a certain part of the world, this this is the th- these are the things that you're used to. I- I'm thinking of even. Um, I've been lately. I've been reading the rule book for. The uh, Vampire the Masquerade, and that tabletop RPG has some really cool like vampire clans and those vampire clans have a lot of history have a lot of like it's 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 ingrained in that clan so if you play a certain clan you kind of have a springboard you have a starting point that you can use in your roleplay there's kind of like these uh, uh, assumptions you can make about your character. And there's also assumptions you can make about the other characters. Because it's going to give you something almost like a a preconceived notion about who those characters are. Now whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in real life I think it's a bad thing. But in in a role playing game it does create kind of like a kickstart point for you to be able to talk about those things. Uh, And Roxanne you sounded like you you disagreed (laughs) with me. So I'd like to hear uh, what you thought.
2: I, I don't Fully disagree. I agree that for a vast majority of player it's helpful to have like those uh, hints that they could use and you know that that they can use to build their own characters. Like I'm also of the school of thought that Constraint give me room for creating. I like creating within a confined space but that's not the case for everyone and some of my players really struggle with how certain things are decided in a book and they're like okay I like some aspects of like this character race or this character class but these aspects they're like oh my god what is even this and mm. then you're like you, you have to to know to, to tell these players well you know either bring me something else or you're going to have to deal with it and that's never fun to do. So for like it's a smaller percentage of players who just don't find happiness in those in those constraints.
1: Yeah, so like, I I totally agree with I I can totally see that in terms of uh and and if we talk about uh session 0 there like I think it's a lot about expectation and like expecting how free are you in your game right? the players yeah. or game master like i think that is a big thing for lore world building and the thing of like having player participate in in their own lore and even you could push it to their own backstory because if they can they come up come they arrive with the table let's say you didn't do a session zero or whatever like let's say they arrive at the table written down or maybe just expecting A certain backstory and then they give you something that is not lore friendly at all that it doesn't fit with let's get one of your first example uh star wars star Mm -hmm. wars has a lot of lore and blah blah maybe you can invent your own planet without doing much damage to the star wars universe because you know there's a lot of planets but if you're like i'm from i don't know tatooine and then you invent things about tatooine that doesn't work with the lore and the game master doesn't like it then Constraint, you know like so so i think it's like you said finding those gaps and sometimes the gaps might not be where you want them to be as players and that's that's definitely could could be um, a strain that kind of like a tension that can be hard to manage as a game master because you're kind of stuck between a, a rock and a hard place between the book and your friends and maybe even your style it's yeah that's what about you, Matt? What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I... Now that you guys say it, I'm starting to feel like what I said before definitely has a lot of, uh... A lot of caveats to it, right? It, it, it's certainly... applicable if you're a player who's open to doing whatever you want and you don't want to come up with a background to your character and you're flexible. But you're right, absolutely right about that, Chris. If, and Roxanne, if, if you're a player and you don't want to be dictated what the limitations of your character is going to be, definitely not a fun thing to have to experience. Same thing with, with the setting, right? If you're a game master and you want some parts of the Star Wars universe, but not all of them, you're going to have to make that pretty explicit to the people at your table that they can't rely on the canonical lore that they're already familiar with, which could be a real big turnoff for some people. Mm -hmm. Um, Right? Because they're coming... I I can only imagine, I've never played in a Star Wars universe, but I can only imagine the people that come to these settings are expecting something out of it. Um, And that goes beyond Session Zero, like if they have that expectation and they come to session zero and your expectations don't um your expectations are different that might be the end of that right there you might be like okay i guess i guess we're not playing together <laughs> and i say that like if, laughingly but like you know you you say it in a kind-hearted way without bullying somebody about it and you just say sorry like the our our expectations don't align i'm not like like uh, chris you'd like to say like like Chris likes to quote Matt Colville, you're not <laughs> writing the book that they want to read. So anyway, um
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. And for me that that is a deal breaker in my game, actually. Like if if, if you don't want to stay within the con- the, the constraint of, of the lore, I I have a problem with it. So that's something I assume it's been a long time, but I assume I said at session zero. I'm pretty sure, because I, I run a couple of one-shots with one of the players and he didn't stick to it. For a one-shot, I don't mind. Invent what you want, right? There, there's no point of keeping lore or whatever, but uh, it's non-canonical. But when, when we start the like three-year campaign, it is going to be canonical. Um, yeah.
0: Are we so ready I to talk about exposition? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to come up with a clever way of doing it, like transitioning, but I think we've given up on that. So before we, before we transition to exposition, is there any last parting words, uh, Roxanne or Chris, about lore that you guys want to touch on? Take that as a no. All right. So <laughs> let's, let's go on to exposition. So I, I think you're right, Chris. We, we owe it to the listeners for us to give a a definition if you will of what exposition is i think it's did i say pretty... that did i say that <laughs> oh uh, i mean maybe i'm maybe i'm interpreting it based on just maybe. how maybe. we usually do things but um i mean i think it's, there's there's probably a pretty common definition out there but let's let's throw it to you first chris and then maybe you roxanne <laughs> what is exposition to you
1: exposition to me is when the game master Technically, from your definition, could also be the players. But like for me, it's when the game master provides lore to uh, to the players through any kind of mean. And I think there's good exposition and there's bad exposition, and that comes with how it's how this information is provided. I think
0: I'll keep it at that for now. How about you?
2: Yeah, that's fair. It's just how i i'm more general i guess i would say how lore is made available
1: that's better that that's <laughs> even more general that's probably better yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: um but yes how lore lore is made available to either the players or sometimes the game master um that would be exposition
0: yeah cool so i mean i i agree with that definition and i and i i think that Roxanne, you definitely nailed it on the head there with just making lore available to to the people playing the game. I I wanna I guess start off by leaning on something you said, Chris. I definitely think exposition can be done, and I enjoy exposition when it's not only the game master giving it. I think it you know there's there's definitely a, a cool kind of uh involvement i suppose i could say when you get your players to take a stab at giving exposition obviously to ensure consistency and to ensure that it's not just creating this mess of a universe that you're going to be playing in i think somebody has to have the final say on whether or not that gets included in the game um that I, I think ought to be the game master who do, who does that. But at the same time, you know, if you have that expectation laid out clearly in the session zero, and you tell players, let's try to be consistent together. Let's try to make this universe or this this, this continent that we're playing on have consistent lore. You can enable people to 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 do exposition through their character, through a role that a character has done, through their backstory, through a player exploring. Uh, and and interacting with another character or another player, kind of like a, a rule of improv style with yes and. So anyway, so that, that's kind of my my take on that. I I wonder if either of you have thoughts about that. Maybe I'll throw it to you first, Roxanne. How do you feel about that? About players uh, being being the mouthpiece for exposition in your game? Is that something you allow? Is that something that
2: I think lore has different levels, and players will always have a certain part to exposition. Like they, they're the masters of like their background. At least in my game, I, you know, unless there's some major, major issue in their background, they're free to, you know, invent cities or whatever. So in my games, players are free to bring exposition, and then I'm, I mean, I'm fine with them, I'll, I'll say throw curveballs at me, like, oh, I'm gonna go to um, this store, and then I'm like, oh, I don't have this store in my, book. let me just, and I think that's fine, it's not a, for every game master, and and I think, in that sense, it's fine, to, and it's, I encourage players to take part into like exposition i like sometimes depending on the game i like being surprised uh so that's that's neat when they feel um confident enough in what they created um, either the character their background the storyline that they have considered going on like you know I'm i'm not even writing quests for my okay i have like a general quest for my current campaign but players are writing their own quests. they're like, oh, I want to do this, and it's like, all right, we'll make it work. But that's not, that's on them, you Mm know.
1: For for me, uh, so there's two things I want to say. So I think there's, we talked Mm -hmm. about players coming up with lore, Um, that being like, basically, we always talk about spectrum here, the spectrum of like, the game master does all the lore, or I mean, the extreme would be the players do all the lore, which will be probably like a total improv thing, which doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. in our discussion. But basically, like you can move the thing where like the players get more input into. And okay. I I said I was more on the like setting is is established. Um, I can still do exposition through my players, right? So like when you said Matt, like the mouthpiece for exposition, it doesn't it doesn't mean that players don't do exposition in my game, it just means that I do a little bit more of like um, work behind the curtain, where I'll talk to my players between games, where they're gonna be like, I mean, you mapped like the other day, where you were like, I don't, can I, can I spoil your like artifact yeah, yeah. thing? Go yeah, I don't, think, yeah. Um, so it's it's not a spoiler for the listeners; it's little spoilers for our players. <laughs> So, if you're one of my players, don't listen to this. Uh, like, you know, Matt was like, Oh, I want to give like a, an artifact, a magic artifact to one of my players, but I, I to, to one of like the other characters. But I, I know like in the basically in the mechanics, I, I shouldn't be able to create out of nothing because, you know, I, I deal with different powers at my table. And together we came up with like a solution that would be cool. Um, and then I'm not going to be the one bringing that in the lore that would be uh, attached to this to the table you're going to be the one doing it so i do a lot of that with and with with the backstory one of our players that joined with the new character not too long ago was like oh i told him what do you want your backstory to be and we kind of worked at it together and i want one point he asked me like oh i want to have been in three battles one like this one like this one like this and i'm like i'm gonna send you the names of the city that work in the geography because the warmer geography is established. So instead of coming up with names, I just did a really quick search for like five minutes and found a bunch of of town that made sense geographically with his backstory. Um, so that is the hard lore world building there of like, yeah. don't just come up with a name. I'll I'll give it to you, but to me, it doesn't like it's not me creating his backstory. It's just me making sure it's consistent with the rest of the things
0: yeah and you know what you, what you're saying chris makes a whole lot of sense and now that you make that clarification you're absolutely right whether or not you enable your players to be involved in the creation of lore it's like it's, it's exclusive you know or it's mm-hmm. not mutual yeah anyway it's it's distinct Wait. from yeah. it's distinct from allowing a player to be involved in in the exposition of the world and actually i'm gonna go and say i think that that's probably and now you guys are gonna prove me wrong but that's okay i'm gonna say it <laughs> and are gonna have a cool conversation about it i think it's probably the best way to do exposition like p- personally i think if you're getting the players involved you're w- whether it be by having conversations you know, text conversations in between games, or even having a player roll a skill check of some kind, and then sending them, you know, what their results are, or, or having a sidebar conversation with them about what they learnt, and then coming back to the rest of the table, and then allowing that player to say what they want to say, when they want to say it, when they feel like it's appropriate, it, it really makes them critical in the delivery of the exposition. And I think that's what makes for engaging exposition. Roxanne, do you have any
1: thoughts? I have, but I want to let Roxanne react to this first. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: I think it's great when it works. Again, that depends a lot on your players. Um, Mm. And If you have players who will engage that way and feel comfortable, um and and be true to what you tell them that's great but i've had i've encountered issues where unwillingly what the information i was giving as a game master to one player was interpreted and then given to players in a wrong way and then as the game master you're just sitting there gritting your teeth you're like do i tell them Mm. So, there's always, um, it depends to me how critical the lore is. I like having a a true version that's available for all players when it's something critical. When it's something that's Mm. not, then, you know, you can interpret and then you can flavor it because my players have their own way of flourishing things and but sometimes while they flourish they had they may add details and then stuff that wasn't there originally and I just I like having the one true version but it's true that it's always more engaging when it comes from another player
0: I like how you you know you're keeping me honest Roxanne that's good that's good Um, and, and you're right it's definitely something that the players have to be comfortable doing, right? If if you're going to give them this cool bit of lore and you're hoping that they talk about it, and then they never do, like it it didn't work out, and that doesn't make for very good exposition if it doesn't get exposed. So, <laughs> absolutely, no, I I agree with you on that front.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think she, I think Roxanne was saying a lot of like, even like n- not even that it's not said, but it is distorted, which is. Can be even more problematic. <laughs> I kind
0: of like uh, that, though. I'll say, I'll talk about it. Later. Go, go for it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. If it's
2: so, willingly distorting what the DM says and it's done with purpose. That's great. I, 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 I love seeing why they would do something, but sometimes it's not done willingly. It's just they mis- misinterpreted something I said, or mm. you know.
1: Yeah, of course, and and. Uh, so, so I'll start with with what you just said, and then I'll I'll move to my reaction about the other thing. But like, um, that happens to at my table, which is like we've established a little bit more strict in terms of lore, and we now have a. So, so what the problem that comes with having a strict strict lore uh, is that when they do exposition, what would happen in the past is people would like reach a point where they're not sure what I told them or like what it was or like was the. Was it Greenskins or Beastmen? Like, and, and then they would stop the roleplay and they would ask me, like, was that right? Um, which I appreciated, but at one point it was, like, sometimes stopping the roleplay. So we have now a, an established rule that is just say whatever you're going to say. And if I need to do correction after, kind of like the retcon. And it's usually very small things. Um, but, like... The other day, the guy, the, one of the, my players said, "Oh, we're in an elven grove." And it was just like, "Well, they're actually not elven; it's a grove." I like, it's not really a big deal, but I didn't stop him in the middle of a role play scene. I said it after, so but that's for really small things, and that doesn't like what you said Roxanne is is totally true, and I think that's why we like to have guests because we, me and Matt, share most of our tables. Sometimes we. And you know so so there's some issues that maybe we don't have, which um I think it's it's good to have you here to point that out that yeah, sometimes that that can be a problem um and, and if I go back to like having even what Matt said of like players not even sharing the information we we had i had that problem like having a big backstory with a lot of lore and um. One of the character wouldn't share much of it, so when his backstory came calling, there was a lot of of this uh, appearing on the 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 NPCs, so the, the NPCs would would kind of like do the exposition, which is less satisfying, but still doable. But I think last game math, like we had one guy. Um, do a lore drop almost, you know, like do like a a big scene where he exposed a lot of the lore that was in his backstory, and that came in his backstory because I worked with him, and like basically the way I work is like, you write your backstory then I take it, <laughs> I took a like three quarter of a page and I made it like, I think it's like almost three pages and basically I wrote it like uh, more of a story instead of bullet points mm-hmm. and in that there was a bunch of lore, and I remember him being like, this is exactly what I sent to you, but so much better. You know, like, it was like, there's nothing you removed or changed, but you added so much to it, you know?
0: And I actually, um, I'm gonna speak to something, like, a little bit about that, actually, but before I do, I just wanna make sure, Roxanne, you still there? I think we lost you for a second.
2: (laughs) Yeah, my my connection just, I don't know what happened. I think my my phone ran out of ram
0: oh, that's okay <laughs> well you're back that's all that matters um so so yeah so i was gonna say chris it's really interesting that you bring that up because it's definitely i think one of the pitfalls of having players be involved in exposition you know it, it clearly the the person you're talking about was very engaged with his lore drop but it was still a lore drop it was still like 10 minutes of lore maybe, maybe not 10 minutes but you know it, it, it was a long scene where he talked about a lot of things and in terms of whether or not that is the best way for something to be exposed in a game my opinion is that it isn't it, it's actually it, it can ruin the pace it can make it hard to digest um and i'm, I'm going to kind of use this maybe as a as a as a pivot for us to now talk about some of the things, some of the common mistakes that people can do with exposition. If, if you're comfortable with that, Chris, and maybe you want to, I am maybe... but I'm
1: just curious. Are you talking about Salvador or are you talking about Luthier? Just so I know.
0: I'm talking about, I mean, both of them, I guess, but I was mainly talking about Salvador okay, in, in, okay. in the game. He, he really went off and he was saying like this and this and this and this and this about my backstory. And it was, it was interesting. Like, from a from a lore perspective but in terms of the pace of the game mm. and in terms of like how digestible that scene was it was hard it was hard to digest um anyway i so so yep. mm-hmm. i'm thinking should we pivot to some of the pitfalls about about uh about exposition or or do you want to do either of you have thoughts about that has has that happened to you Roxanne where a player just kind of like here's my origin story from A to Z, and they just kind of, like, <laughs> run it off. <laughs>
2: um, I've been playing with the same group for a very, very long time, so we kind of know the attention span of other players, and so I would say not lately. Uh, at first, it might have happened more, but lately it's been, like, we keep the lore and the, mostly the exposition to, like, bite-sized because otherwise, some players are just like, "Nope, I'm gonna look at my phone." So, um, yes
1: yeah uh, to to me the the way I remember the scene was the scene was long, but I remember the num the amount of of information I didn't feel was that heavy, but uh, it's true that it took a while to 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 like get to it, but I, but it's definitely. For me, like, the other scene, the Luthier scene I was talking about, where, like, someone asked him, like, oh, uh, have you ever fought a demon? And then he's like, no, but let me tell you about all the battles I've been in. That was, to me, more of an issue. Um, So, yeah, I think it's definitely a pitfall of, like, pacing to have a player kind of, like, in that spotlight management. That's, like, and also being relevant to what's going on. Uh, And that's definitely, like... Uh, an issue that can that can arise from i mean it's relation really control there right it's like it's like giving the players the reins but i think because it's a role playing game if it's not going to be lore it might be something else you know so i think you have to trust your players a little bit um, but that's yeah, that and i mean i'm careful. definitely
0: i'm definitely putting in some hyperbole here intentionally to talk about how lore dumping is bad by no means am I saying that you know that particular instance is equatable to that but it, but it, it, was, it was bordering on it mm-hmm. um, so, so yeah so I mean Max if you're listening I'm sorry I don't mean to say that you did a bad job but <laughs> 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 but um, but yeah so let's not, maybe let's pivot over what makes uh, exposition quote unquote bad in your in your books you guys maybe Roxanne I'll throw it to you first what do you think
2: um exposition that is well lore dumps first of all there's no there's no good lore dump if you're going to like in, at my table if you're going if I'm going to do that it's going to be text and it's going to be read whenever you, you can if you want um so there's that uh, and then um, dropping lore that's not relevant when your players are not able to filter what is or isn't relevant. It depends a lot on the type of games you run. And uh, and also lore that is too guided. But that's just something I don't like myself. Like when you just do exposition because you want to get them moving to a specific location talk to a specific npc whatever investigate something specific when it's too guided it kind of loses i don't know it's a
0: uh, it's shine yeah no you're you're definitely right and maybe we can dig a little bit on like what makes those things bad because i think we can all agree that a lore dump is bad or that <laughs> uh, i giving people read- <laughs> oh you don't okay i want to hear why why don't-, don't you think so
1: I mean, I mean, just saying like Lord dumps are bad. I think is a general like you can do bad Lord dump. Like I, I know that if you just like put a Lord dump out of nowhere, it can be bad. Uh, I, I think it depends on the players. I know like you, Matt. I wouldn't do a, a big Lord dump for your character, uh, but uh, for instance, Vince at our table just eats lore you know like the other day we finished a game and he spent an hour and a half after doing internet research and that's why i need to be coherent with my lore because after (laughs) that otherwise he texts me after him like that doesn't make sense and like i'm like no it actually does because of yeah so so i have to be careful with that but i don't know if you remember at one point uh he went inside a dagger and he had like scenes uh which was the dumpest of lore that I've ever done. Like, the the biggest dump I've... And it was basically, like, uh, f- I don't know how many pages it was, but it was, like, a little bit... like It was, like, half a a page in the middle of... You guys had a combat, I think. So it was, like, every turn uh, he had a little bit of a long dump. Lore dump, lore dump. And the thing is, it was the way of finding how to destroy this artifact. So it was a bit like what Roxanne said of like the um, his challenge was to filter the good information from the bad, and he, he wrote a lot of that. And then you realize after like, and I, I think I I gave him the, the the sheet after of like what I've read, but it was meant to be dramatic. It wasn't just like dry information. It was scenes, kind of like we talked about box text before.
0: Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, I would argue that that's not exactly. I mean,
1: you it took, is a lore you, you,
0: dump. You, you took a lore dump, you cut it into pieces, and then you made it engaging. So I, I think, to a certain extent, I mean, maybe it's a lore dump. But for you to make it, it was
1: like in 1873, there was a Bretonian that took the dagger, <laughs> and like that was basically it. But it was made through a scene. So that's my point. It can be engaging. It's hard, and it needs to be prepped before. I think, and uh, well, I, but- so,
0: so so to to clarify. for the listeners what ha- Maybe we disagree on the definition of a lore dump then i don't Maybe. know um how about you roxanne what, what do you think makes a lore dump bad or or any of the other things that you talked about you know the red herrings. Um, like why is that i think bad? it's
2: it's to me i i one of the big thing is being conscientious of my players time so if it's gonna take 10 15 whatever minutes of the game and it only interests one player and it's just information it's not wrong to give them that information by all means i will write it and you will have it but there are four other people that are currently not interested in what's happening and to me the lore dumps become bad when you lose focus and interest from players that is my my view of it Some I've had tables when I was playing Nephilim that I could do lore dumps that would I feel like the whole games were lore dumps and they were fine with it, it was like, yeah exactly it was like num, num 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 give me lore and that was fine but as soon as the players start getting you know lost nah it's not good mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Um, I, I, I definitely agree with that and I think I'll, I'm going to take another one of the things that you said and I'm going to elaborate a little bit why I think it's bad. Um, irrelevant information can be bad. I think it's especially bad in like an investigative setting when the players are, are trying to solve a mystery or they're trying to explore and figure out what to do next and if you start dumping lore, or not dumping lore, but you know, you start doing exposition, even if it's engaging, even if it's as they're exploring the space, if you start talking about something that's too irrelevant, they might gravitate towards that. They might end up spending too much of their time fixating on something that's wrong and, and is going to lead them nowhere. And it's going to end up with them being frustrated that they spent, you know, two hours out of their three-hour evening kind of going nowhere. They, they might feel like there's no progression. And I think that's where there's the danger in providing red herrings or or lore that's too different, or different's the wrong word, but, but too um, irrelevant in an investigative setting. That I think that that's kind of the lens where I see it to be the most harmful to the game
1: yeah no that 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 is true if it's different if it's something they're looking for direction which can be a good way of i think using lore um but there's kind of like a very fine lines between being too relevant being like well Mm -hmm. flashlight here's the answer and you don't really (laughs) need to think about it and like oh it's overshadowed by a bunch of things and you don't really know what's what's important so that's that's a very strict balance and and for me if if i don't know if we're done with like the 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 cons i guess or like the pitfalls i should say but i think something that we should talk about is like how to do it and we're running a little bit long so
0: that's true uh, maybe we should jump to that (laughs) so
1: so like a way i think of getting rid of like too much noise around it and yet not being Not just giving it is to have the players ask for it right i think that is the one and i hope there's others but like at at least for me this is the one thing i focus on uh and sometimes i'm even at this point i think i've shown i've i'll say train my players to do it so much that they ask lore now for things that i'm like i don't remember last last two games like you guys met a dryad and you just were like doing test academic check after academic check and lore and and like different checks of like we want to know no more about this even though you're like you don't really need to it doesn't fit that much with your objective it's it's now moving away from you and you're like no tell me more about the lore so it's it it's for me then you can be more specific when It's because they ask for it or they achieve something and the challenge cannot, you can shy away from the challenge being to filter, which is what I I know I said in the other one. But I think it's the only time I did it of like, now the the challenge is filtering. This is a very difficult balance. So yeah, I would go with Mm -hmm. player asking for it.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Chris. And I think there's certain things that game masters can do to kind of like fish for those kinds of questions too, right? Yeah. Uh, I really like to make my descriptions just enough, but you know, just enough to paint a portrait of the the space that the players are in. uh, Just enough about the outfit of a character or or you know the appearance of a monster to give them something to ask me about if they are interested in it. And in doing that, it creates... It, it almost helps fabricate moments for the players to be like, Oh, this is an opportunity for something for me to ask more, and and then give some of that lore. Um, and, and this is especially true for me in my type of game mastering, where I'm very flexible, and I'm... Flexible is the wrong word. I'm very liberal, with the creation of it, right? So, I'll say something, and sometimes it's intentionally not knowing why that's the case. Mm -hmm. I'll say, you know, I'll talk about the monster, I'll talk about, oh, this monster has, like, clothes from an enemy that they, like, brawled along on the floor in their nest, and, you know, the outfit is, like, you see, like, a banner of of something, maybe, like, a, a banner of, like, a dragon, Well, now the players are, they might be like, well, what is that? Do I know they recognize that banner? And I might not know, I might be able to seed, like, I might be able to seed a little bit in my lore that way, which can be a lot of fun, or I might be able to turn to my players and have them help me come up with the explanation. But, um, how about, how about you, Roxanne? What, what would you say is, um, a strategy that you like to employ to have good,
2: um, I, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of do the same. It's really finding the balance of how you describe things and putting just enough emphasis on certain elements. I also sometimes don't know where where I'm going when I put an element. Don't tell my nurse.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but uh, and then having them ask questions. I have. Generally speaking, my players are very into the lore and they will ask questions, but sometimes you have tables where they're just like, no, that's not working for me, and then it's easier to just move on and just be like, okay, let's keep this adventure going. Um, So yeah, it's really into finding the proper way to describe things.
1: Yeah, and something maybe I'd like to, to add to what we've been saying of like, oh, how... I think we've all touched on, like, how to have the players ask more questions about the lore. And I think when, when I said, like, and I don't like the word, but I don't have another one, like, train. I, I think it's more, like, reinforced, I think would be better, because I think I try to make the lore helpful to their objective in a lot of the time. Where, you know, they're trying to convince some guy, some guard or whatever, and and because they have lore, they know the the story, the story of the faction, and then they can use this lore
0: mm-hmm. to
1: get a bonus because the that's in their argument or like the the Kazron dagger. That the reason they went in the dagger and found all that lore was to find a way of destroying it. So hidden in that, so obviously the players will ask me that, and and because they see that the lore will be helpful, they ask for more of it all the time. You know.
0: Yeah, no you're you're absolutely right Chris. It makes it engaging, it makes it um valuable to have. And I and I don't mean to say that being immersed in a setting is not valuable. It's definitely mm-hmm. still valuable. And as a game master, as game masters, I think we can all appreciate the value that that brings to the table. But uh some players even though they want it, like they want to be immersed they might not have the attention span to allow themselves to be if there isn't, you know, a reason for them to engage with that information in a in a meaningful way in the game. So I, I think, I, I mean, I, I guess if we were to boil it down, oh, go for it.
1: I was just going to say to me, it's all about hiding the medicine in the candy or the food. I don't know what the expression is, but yeah, it's like hiding like you want this, but I'm also going to give you um, immersion while you ask me for the 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 the, the, you want information i'm going to give you information in the form of lore and it needs to be pretty short most of the time which comes back to the rox roxan's point i think of like making sure it doesn't stretch uh most of the time it can be done correctly as i pointed before but most of the time it's like information with a little bit of lore and then often it's like there's a, a start of lore and then They're gonna ask me for more and for more, and you can go really deep, depending on what what they ask, but keeping it short. And when you see the players kind of the other players lose interest, that's when you're like, okay, you got you got your info. We're done with the lore, let's move on.
0: Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think we're going like like you said, Chris, we're going a little long, so we're almost at the end here. Um, so maybe before we do our wrap-up and our conclusions and all of that. I'll I'll open the floor one last time. Are there any more thoughts about exposition that we want to get out there? Um,
2: well, I, I want to say one thing I do for my games for exposition is uh, doing props. I know not every game master mm. does that, but it's something that my players usually respond really, really well to. Um, so... Let's say they're like, you know, in Skyrim where you have those journals and all the text written. That's just, that's like the biggest lore dump I can have. But if I write it out as a journal, it just goes down a lot more smoothly. And some, I remember when my games, they were looking for clues about where one necromancer went. And they found like receipts. Of like purchases they had made, and I, I actually wrote down all those receipts and like the trade manifest. And it's something that players usually respond really well to, but you have to be really, really involved in your game to do that. So I know it's not everyone's thing.
0: Okay, I I was gonna try to wrap up the show, but now I have to talk about this. Yeah, this is no, you're absolutely no. I I thank you that but you're absolutely right. Um, and to not. Completely say the same thing you just said because I agree a hundred percent I'm gonna take it a slightly different direction and maybe Chris you can build on this But something that Chris and I like to do a lot of and we miss it I miss it dearly is build terrain and I like building terrain for for my games. I like trying to Have that visual element and one of the things that I love about terrain is that it can facilitate exposition it can facilitate immersed like having your players be immersed in the game world and something as simple as like a pirate flag painted a certain way on the on the you know on the boat that you built or having a lot of um having a lot of like supplies and like rope and different barrels and things at one dock but a lot less at a different dock it's kind of exposition in its own right and the players who are attentive enough to pay attention to that, might ask questions about it, without me even describing it. Like, they see it on the table and it's, like, part of that exposition in a fun, visual way. Um, so, yeah, I agree entirely with what you just said, Roxa.
1: Yeah, this is definitely next-level stuff, handouts, right? This, uh... I, yeah, I mean, obviously, COVID, but uh, yeah. that can be done also <laughs> a little bit. But but what what I think is great with props, and I for me, if I, again, just want to add another dimension to that, is I love to hand out, to give handouts that are seem to be something when they receive it, because they get the info that they were maybe asking, and blah, blah, blah. But then there's, like, things that don't seem related that much, but after that in the story, because it's a handout, they have it, you know, like, it's not just like you tell them, then they can discover more things uh, into it, which is always exciting, I think, when you're and or, or something that you need to go back to a couple of times, and it's not just like I read it, I'm done. Is is you get like many times the value of just saying something, which is, um, I think, what a handout ought to be. Because if it's just, I mean, it can be just a cool thing, but like to be able to work with it. Uh, I know Matt, you gave, gave us a cool handout with like, a trick that I won't spoil, but. You spoil it on Twitter, so follow follow <laughs> out out on Twitter. But uh, like a cool thing where you could actually interact with it and find something, and then it comes to puzzle and riddles. But um, but there's definitely something there. We could also yeah. link lore with puzzles and 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 and, and, <laughs> and traps and everything. For sure.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it enga- like that's one way to make it engaging, right? Make it part of a puzzle. Um, yeah. No, absolutely What's, it sounds Roxanne. like you want to say something Roxanne no,
2: that's all good I was saying yes, I was agreeing okay.
0: <laughs> awesome, great well, so I I think we covered as much as we, we possibly can uh, in today's episode about, about lore and exposition so, you know before we go into the wrap up of the show, let's do just a quick conclusion about what we talked about today. So, you know, today we talked about lore, we talked about how some settings come with their own lore, some systems come with their own lore, whereas others can more easily facilitate the creation of the lore for the Game Master, and that there's pros and cons to each of these. Uh, I I think the consensus, and somebody stop me if I'm wrong, but the consensus was that it's going to be heavily dependent on your preference as a game master and also the preference of your players. Some people prefer to have very, you know, um, have more control over the lore, and if that's the case, then it might be easier to go with something that um, is a preconceived setting if you are happy you know what no that's not necessarily true you can have control over your own setting too i suppose um but uh it, it i guess it boils down to preference Somebody i guess it's, it's
1: it's 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 kind <laughs> of like the game master having the control or the player being able to have an input in it right and then you can have the setting model, yeah and in the second part i guess of the episode we talked about exposition. And a couple of things we talked about is the fact that having the player ask for it is is good. Uh, It being embedded, I guess, in other aspects of the game, um, either through their objective or, like we said at the end, a puzzle or something like that. And it being helpful while not being too directing, I guess, uh, is, is a balance to strike that is important when you do exposition. And be careful of the lore dump. Even though I say it can be done, be careful because it's 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 easily uh, it's kind of like salt, right? If you put too much into it, you don't you don't taste anything else. So uh, be careful with that.
0: Awesome. I don't know Roxanne if there were any other takeaways that you felt like we missed that the listeners should be aware of.
2: No, I think you guys covered pretty much
0: what we talked about. So it's cool. Awesome. Great. So. Now, I guess you know, we've come to a close. so Roxanne, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, if people listening want to find you uh, out there on on socials or, or things like that, where where can people find you?
2: uh yeah, I'm on Twitter, and my name is Ari Kantsus, which is impossible to write? So good luck finding me. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, you can find me with Tipsy Geek, which is my uh, my blog and also, I think Instagram.
0: Awesome. We'll definitely link all of that stuff up in the show notes, um, in the, the podcast episode notes. So for those of you interested on how to spell Arikantus, you can definitely go look for that there. Um, and if you have questions for us about the episode or you have uh, questions to, for us to include in an upcoming episode, we encourage you to contact us uh, at, on Twitter. You can do so at role underscore play underscore chat.
1: Or we have an email that's contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. I think so, uh, that was a good discussion. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. I'm sure there are other things to say, but um, Lorraine's position, I love it when done right. Um, what do you think, Matt?
0: No, you're perfectly right, Chris. <laughs> I think we can call it a chat.